The Business of Cambridge from Cambridge 105 Radio. Episode 2, Growth. Hi, welcome to The Business of Cambridge, the show which aims to unearth the most interesting stories from businesses in and around our wonderful city. My name is Sue Keogh and today the topic is growth. So how do you grow a business? How do you build upon this growth and maintain it, particularly in such a competitive sector as food and beverages? With me today are two people who know all about this sort of stuff. We have Claire Martinson from Breckland Orchard. Hi, everyone. And so you have this wonderful range of posh pops. Which is your favourite flavour? Oh my gosh, I do get asked that a lot. And I always say it's a bit like choosing your favourite child. You just can't do it. The truthful answer is I don't make anything I don't like. So I would happily drink all or any of them. Depends on my mood. Hot summer day, probably a cloudy lemonade. Middle of winter, probably a plum and cherry. Um, I'm quite partial to the cream soda and rhubarb. You see? Everyone's got it's their It's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit like liquid uh, raspberry yeah. ripple ice cream. Oh, it's so nice. nice. Yeah. It's lovely. And then we also have joining us Ollie Thane from Cam's Cuisine. Good afternoon. And so you've got a group of nine pub restaurants. Correct. Gastro pubs, restaurants. Yes. All yep, of those yep, things. That's the kind of thing we do. <laughs> yep, yep. And so I'm not going to ask you which one is your no, favourite because I'm sure you're no. equally fond of all of them. Yes. But <laughs> say if someone were to go into one of them tomorrow, what sort of dish would you recommend? Oh, okay. I'll go back to probably the cock at Hemingford Grey and have a duck parcel. Oh, okay. Which has been on the menu for 20, 19 years. Okay. It was in our opening menu at the cock in 2001. We've tried to take it off without success. Yes. We've tried to take it off just to, for a variety of reasons. Yeah, but yeah. People keep people coming People go, oh, you've taken off. It's like taking sticky coffee pudding off the pudding. Right, You okay. can't. We've tried, but you just can't do it. You, you <laughs> have to have it back. Okay, so I'm going to start by asking you, Claire, um, just to set the scene a little bit. When did you found the business and what were you doing in the run-up to this? Okay, so I founded the business in March 2009, so just over 10 years ago, I had been working for Mars, the chocolate business. Uh, I was working in Slough and commuting from Cambridge to Slough, which was a very interesting commute. I used to yes, uh, get up like at 10 to 5 every morning, <laughs> set off down the A1, the M25, and get into work about half past six, because if I left any later, I would literally get there at nine. And I love Mars. I was there 13 years, absolutely adored it. But um, then my son arrived in 2005 and then had a daughter in 2007. And suddenly driving around the M25 every single morning just didn't look that realistic. And I always say I woke up and had a year-old baby in a lemonade business. (laughs) It was like one of those moments of craziness. Um, She was an adorable baby, so I used to literally rock up to all the mentor business um, coaching in Berry's back of the room in the carry court and listen to how you could start your own business. And fueled by the pregnancy hormones, I did it. So, yeah, it was all good. what was it that led you to go into pop? You know, why that and not maybe if your background was more chocolate and confectionery, that kind of thing? You know, what what was it that really uh, had the appeal? Yeah, um, I grew up in the Wye Valley in South Wales. My grandparents lived in the same village, so my granny Jessie used to make these amazing dishes. She just used to live off the earth, really, and uh, she made us this amazing lemonade when we were kids so it was one of those kind of I think when you have kids you sort of get a bit nostalgic and you think I was thinking oh it'd be really lovely to make that lemonade for my kids and it was the sort of lemonades all sort of a bit gloopy and clear and people think of the big brands like seven up and sprite and it was like can I make a really really nice lemonade um, and that was the kind of little kernel of an idea that sort of grew and grew and because that's where it's all sort of started fueled by granny yep Oh, that's, that's, that's really nice. 
And then what about you, Ollie? Did you have a background in catering or the pub trade or anything? I left the army at Sandhurst, wondered what on earth I should do, and I thought, I love pubs. Right. Generally like sitting in the corner of pubs with a yeah. pint, socialising. I was never a club, going to clubs. I was never into that. So I understood beer. I was, I'm a lifelong member of camera, even then at the age of 18. No beard, but, you know, I was very, very keen on my real ale. So I thought it was an area I understood. Went and got a, a graduate accelerator scheme through Allied de Mer. Ended up working Scottish in Newcastle. And then thought, actually, I'm not a big company man, really. Thought I need to go and do this on my own or get out of the industry altogether, but I loved it. And so ended up purchasing the cock at Hemingford Grey with a chef who was at the anchor at Sutton Gold at the time. I only met him a few times. That was probably the biggest risk, actually. And we set up shop in the cock at Hemingford Grey and transformed it from a very much a smoky old boozer, but rather endearing, into a sort of what people know as a gastro pub. And then just grew the business from there, but very, very steadily, shortly. We had three pubs in five years. Okay, um, when was this? When did you... So, sorry, this was 2001. 2001, Yeah, okay. so we bought the yeah. Crown and Punch Bowl 2003 and then the Boathouse Ely 2005, okay. which we no longer have. But. And really, it's just been growing very steadily since then, innovating along the way, obviously, but we now have nine. I think our original goal was five in ten years, but I thought that was a bit of a pipe dream, really. Mm, but mm. It, we ended up being pretty close to that. And would you say you're still looking to grow at a similar sort of rate or yeah. have you reached a point that it's kind of manageable, you stop there? And yeah, that's a really, I'd love to say that, but it, the growth seems to be always the sort. So we, we're looking to grow probably to about 14, 15 sites. And I believe that our head office, our uh, HQ can cope with that without adding too much more into head office. So three or four more restaurants and then we'll have a look. And be interesting to hear from both of you if you set out with a big, bold vision to grow or did you sit down and map it all out? No, I didn't map it all out. I kind of, I guess I had a vision of where I wanted it to go. And we have grown every single year. We are still really small in the soft drinks world, though. I mean, soft drink world is dominated by the likes of Coke and Britvic and there's some pretty big players out there. So we, we are a sort of small regional player. But it was really interesting in the early days just going from you know, Mars, where I was literally forecasting in millions, you know, I used to round it up or down to the nearest million and it didn't really matter. And when we were talking about deliveries, it was like how many trunkalos, which is 26 pallets, how many lorry loads of Mars bars we were right. going to be delivering into the supermarkets. And all of a sudden I was like my own business and I was literally going down to the nearest, you know, 100 pounds. Yeah. And rather than talking about 27 pallets, it was like, oh my gosh, you know, two pallets, that would be quite a lot. So I actually never wanted to manage those kind of really big numbers again and huge teams so I used to manage sort of 60 70 people at Mars and so I always wanted something that was more manageable that I put my hands around but that was still fun and dynamic and growing and that's been the kind of sweet spot to try and hit really. And what was the biggest step for you was it going from nothing to the first flavour or did you have any big sort of leaps forward or was it fairly fairly steady? Getting going was really hard. I literally decided in the November I wanted to set up the business and the first drinks came off the line in February. And that, and I even now, now I look back and I think, gosh, three months. I mean, Mars, our pipeline was three to four years for you know new products. So it's like 12 weeks. But I think it probably shows if you really, really want something to happen with that much kind of energy and passion, you can just make it happen. So there was a trade show up at... Um, 
Chilford Hall. So I went and launched them there and got my first customer, which was the National Trust. And it was sort of, let's get going. So did Blickling Hall in Norfolk and they were all out there. and just All really, of a sudden happening. Yeah, yeah. And it's quite interesting when you just see mm. something going from an absolute, just something on a piece of paper to suddenly it's it's there and someone's drinking it in a location. Like, wow, that's still amazing. <laughs> and actually, even 10 years on, I still get unbelievably excited seeing people drink mm. them. So I can imagine. And then with you, just thinking back to the idea of planning it out, I mean, how much did you plan or was it a case you bought the first pub and then let loads and then moved forward from yeah, there? Yeah, it was suck it and see it really was. Yeah. So we one place, it had to go well. But then, you know, when you buy a place and it goes really well, you think, actually, we can do this again. And then you suddenly turn around and you've got six, seven places and you've got 200 employees and you're thinking, wow, I never really imagined I'd be in this situation and the job has changed so much, you know, from being hands-on, doing everything in one unit to suddenly employing a lot of people. And that's mm. been quite tricky at times. And at which point did you decide this is who we are? You know, this is what our USP is. This is the sort of nature of business that we are. Well, I suppose if there is a brand within Cam's Cuisine, I'd like to think it's quality, consistency, friendly people, smiley people. But that's about as far as we can go because all the sites are different. Smokeworks on Station Road is different to Smokeworks on Free School Lane, actually. But they're very different to the Tickle-Ons or the Crown and Punch Bowl, as is the Chop House. So we've, there's not a brand within there. We more work on a sort of a, a being really good employers and making sure we employ really good people because that gives us consistency. But we are in different marketplaces. Smokeworks is a mid-range casual dining eating brand, as, uh, but you might think that the Tickle is sort of high-end casual dining. We're not fine dining there. But although we're perceived as fine dining by some. So it's not particularly clear, is it? It's not that clear where we are, really. We're in the food market. Yes. <laughs> we try and sell food. Try and sell food. Yeah, yeah, with a smile. That's what we do. That's okay. <laughs> and then how about Breckland Orchard? Just tell me a bit more about how you kind of shaped it as a brand, you know, what the USP is. Yeah, so our USP when we started, it's still the same, is we don't sell to supermarkets. Um, so, so you're done with have. supermarkets all your time at never Mars. Never have. I, yes, we I've done my supermarket days and when I did my own business I just thought I don't want to sell to supermarkets I'll just be in a different sector so we always have been and people now even now come and say oh you will one day you will one day so I because I'm just very determined I guess I've now printed it all over all our cases (laughs) we won't be selling to supermarkets not now not ever so I signed it so it's funny isn't it because we're exactly the same People ask, we should be franchising Smokeworks and we should be doing, and it's our baby, I don't want to. And, and that's, 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 that's an issue, I think, with the founder. I don't know whether you find this as well, you might do that actually letting go of that sort of thing might really do the Smokeworks brand a load of good. And I'm sure you could develop it, but it's letting go and giving it into the hands of somebody else. And I just don't see that happening while it's on my watch, to be honest. Yeah, I just, and actually if it's your business, yeah. you, don't, you can run it the way you want to run it and... Yeah. That's the way I want to run it. I think you always do find when you run a business, people are always saying, oh yeah, why don't you do this? Oh, have you thought about doing that? And all the time you're thinking, well, I don't want to do it like that. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like doing what we're doing. The most annoying thing was that a couple of months ago, actually somebody came up to me at a trade show and he said, oh, you don't sell to supermarkets. And I said, oh no, we don't. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, oh, um, running it's a lifestyle business, are you? Yeah, so I, I get thought, accused oh, of my that. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, oh, it's really patronising. Yeah. You know? yeah. So, because... We just sell to some like amazing, amazing outlets, you know, so, you know, the National Portrait Gallery, the Royal Albert Hall, we're in some 
amazing venues that really are in about food and drink and fast turnover and I would argue you know they probably sell more drinks mm. than a Tesco you know and it's different horses for different courses but you know I think some people have just watched Dragon's Den too much and yes. so they repeat all those phrases like yes. that and, and they want Peter Jones to get them into themselves. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. I get very excitable so I'm quite sort of probably immature on that front so people come up with ideas I think guys we need to be doing this in the business and I right, yeah. and I do need the guys around me I mean Max Freeman's my business partner and he very much goes hang on a minute when you're doing this but n- not on that front not on the you must no, develop front definitely not yeah that's head, what I need head, as a girl somebody behind me there, like implementing the ideas because yeah. I think sometimes when you found it, you just come up with so many ideas yeah. that you just need people yeah. Yeah. behind sort of crossing the uh, I's dotting the T's and kind of getting all yeah. round it yeah mm-hmm. and I'd have new systems in every six months oh, we need that new <laughs> we need that system we need this new customer facing system and <laughs> let's get it in let's get it in why can't we get it in well we've only just embedded the last one in the last you know so yeah you do need people around you just say hang on a minute mm-hmm. stop being a buffoon it's like the magpie syndrome, isn't it? Being drawn to shiny, yeah. bright new things. Yeah, yeah. yeah let's do this. Oh, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. So um, tell me about your kind of learning points from the very first pub then. So there must have been things there that maybe you did wrong that then the next time you didn't repeat. Certainly we did things wrong. I mean, I, I probably haired around the place, didn't have my head screwed on at all, tried to do everything, made many mistakes. But actually... I think because of the background, having spent two or three years as an area manager, which I had with Scottish and Newcastle, I think fundamentally we set the business up quite well. We actually pretty much repeated it at the Crown and Punch Bowl. And actually those two went really well. I think probably the Boathouse and Ely, our third site, was where we perhaps went a bit wrong. Wasn't great site selection. Really enjoyed the site. Lovely in the summer, mm-hmm. right on the river. Yeah, great spot. spot. Mm lovely customers loved Ely I'm from there so mm. it was well between Ely and Cambridge but you know we tried to probably put a country pub menu in there it, mm. it was highly destinational no car parking there so quite difficult very quiet in winter very hard to staff so I think we probably learned an awful lot at the boathouse actually that was probably right. our first I hate to call it a mistake because we loved it mm, mm. and love the people first challenge first major challenge where things didn't go according to plan I would say but the first two were freehold as well, so they sort of behaved as our banks. We were able to borrow against them, so they sort of underpin and still do actually the business largely. I think those little things like there's no car park, maybe yeah, yeah, it's easy it to sense. underestimate that at the time. Then you realise actually it's going to cause problems. And really seasonal businesses. Mm. Um, mm. I mean, Claire, you were talking before, like our catering operation, dining company, they're very hard to run. Right. And motivating staff out of season yeah, is, yeah. is really difficult. And then retraining. The summer so inevitably they leave in midwinter because you're doing a third a quarter of what you're doing in the summer i think being consistently busy yes is in a restaurant business is much better than it being smashed in the summer and struggling to cope and then being absolutely dead yes mm. and for you claire is it fairly seasonal i think do you it sell a bit more very hot seasonal weather? yeah right. it, i always say when the temperature gets to about 16 degrees that's when people start switching from right hot drinks into cold drinks yeah, yeah. so it is very seasonal and june july august are the busiest quarter by far and uh, yeah, the hotter the summer, the more we sell. So that, that's always quite interesting, just for trying to predict growth and trying to forecast the mm. weather. And I do say I'm a bit um, anal about looking at the long-term weather forecasts and kind of just, I'm not sure what I, it actually gives me, but I, I, I like it. I just kind of like <laughs> panic me a bit more. And so how do you manage that in terms of cash flow then? So there must be quite a sort of a peak and a trough. 
There's definitely a very peaky cash flow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I just learned to live with it. Actually, I think most businesses, when you get into them, are, I don't know, maybe Oliver's the exception, but my first job was in the sock industry and that was hugely seasonal as well. And you think socks, <laughs> but you know, yeah. after Wimbledon, we just sell loads of white socks because everyone decided to go and start tennis. <laughs> and just Christmas, like loads of men's socks at Christmas because nobody knows what to give men mm. at Christmas. So every business I've been in has been quite seasonal, yes. but this... Yeah, I think soft drinks might be more seasonal than anything I've ever My uh, in-laws run a, uh, a shellfish stall in Sheringham. And so they get up at five o'clock in the morning all the way through the summer and they're shelling crabs. And then, of course, they disappear off to Tenerife for the whole of the winter. Because <laughs> yeah. it's just, it's that Dead. seasonal, yeah. you know. And how about you and kind of early challenges? Any mistakes that you made? Anything, you know, oh, if you gosh, went back and did it again? Loads, loads and loads. <laughs> just knowing what to do with how much to produce and best you have to manage best before dates and everything uh, within drinks and it, we're quite lucky i've sort of looked at lengthening the dates just to make sure they're absolutely perfect but yeah using some wrong suppliers being let down on ingredients you know and when you're really quite you know it is quite seasonal you really do need good suppliers that's been not great about five years ago two of our major customers went bankrupt within oh. six weeks of each other so and they accounted for about 15 percent of our turnover and of course they were both went bankrupt right at the end of august so yeah that was really hard and so what what happened how did you kind of nothing i could do just work to replace the business uh, one of them was a wholesaler so we just managed to pick up the customers that had migrated elsewhere one of them was a kind of premium london retailer should we say um and just couldn't replace that business just had to find new business the next year but um i think inevitably when you're running a business you know it is really hard because obviously you've paid for the goods in that instance and you didn't get paid for them so you do learn from it all you know it's about putting in more robust financial systems checking you know being very keen on who you give credit to and how much that credit is when they hit um, certain amounts. Um, and definitely very close on that mm. as a result. Mm. I think mm. as well, food and drink is very competitive anyway, isn't it? Um, I looked it up earlier, something like 1,400 restaurants went out of business last year. And it is quite well known for being one of those industries that people go into and then it's, it's quite hard to survive. So have you found that, Ollie? Um, or have you got kind of quite robust approaches now that, that keep you... Yeah, I mean, it's it's about being interesting, innovative, relevant. It's those sort of boring phrases, but they're really, it's really, really important and choosing location right and actually doing a good deal in the first place is so important on these sites. So even if they don't absolutely fly, you've still got a chance of hanging in there and doing a a decent job and and actually making some money, which let's face it, is the important thing here. So... I work very hard making sure that the sites are right. I mean, we get offered sites all the time, but they're very often over-rented. And this is the issue with the restaurant industry. It's very competitive, but a lot of the competition are going in and just paying top dollar for sites, even now. And two years later, they look back and go, hmm, we didn't do our diligence on that site particularly. Hence, there's some all sorts of pressures and issues. And I suppose then when there are other issues like... Um, the labour supply and the cost of um, employing people and a, the cost of food, the cost of drinks, etc., are going up quite rapidly. Then you have other pressures, and if your rents are also high, you're in real trouble. Mm. And if your sales are going down, mm. like for like, there's a crash there. Then for us, it's all about the people. It's a people business, 100% for us. Well, not 100%, of course, but 
massively a people business for us and working really hard on being terrific employers. Yes, and you've uh, got this employability scheme, haven't you, with uh, where you're trying to include more people from the community? Yes, I think probably what you're referring to there is that I work with Winter Comfort mm. where we've, we have a get-back-to-work scheme for homeless people or service users of Winter Comfort and so that's been quite nice, trying to get people back into work. Out of that's come our sort of Camsazine Community Fund where we put a pound on every bill over £30. And we're raising, that's only just started actually, but we've, we're raising really quite some nice money to put back into the community there. But employment-wise, we just work really hard and being as good as employers as we possibly can. We've got 220 employees now. We know, I know just about 95% of the, every now and again I walk into one of our kitchens, I go, <laughs> and I asked this head so chef, who's this guy? Who is he? Probably not. No, definitely not. And I go, who's this guy? And that's really important. Mm. And that's an area where I think probably as we grow, which we inevitably, we are growing and we want to grow, we may lose that. And that's going to be a challenge. I think when we get to maybe 14, 15 sites, when we've got 320, 350 employees, that's going to be quite tricky. Fill up a bit of a headmaster trying to know every single child, you know, running around the place. So, But that's really important to me as is being really good, throwing lots of energy into our people at various different levels. I mean, I could, one of the, my favourite things we do is we take 20 employees, actually, it's more like 15, up over the mountains each year, up in Snowdonia, and we oh, do nice. some quite nice stuff mm. like that to get people out and about. Mm, mm. No, that, that's our, I mean, if we're looking at growth, that's where we, that's what we need to be focused on. And so people. having having the people from within being really happy in the workplace and that in a way gives you a competitive advantage. It, it does, uh, of course, and and there'd be no people on your show that will come in and go, yeah, we don't really think, you know, <laughs> we can't be honest with our people. So it, it is obviously absolutely vital to us that we're doing a really good job. And I think especially the young of today love to see a company that's working locally, mm. working within the community. Our competitive advantage is that we have nine local restaurants and if we can mention various brands that have one in each town, now sharing labour for us is really important, sharing our teams. Honestly, I'm on, we've got WhatsApp groups and they're going, have you got someone front of house for tonight? And we send someone <laughs> over from one restaurant to the other. That's a real advantage. So on the whole, our restaurants are, are well staffed. I cannot imagine what it's like running one site in each town around the country. It must be horrendous i'm not saying that we wouldn't develop smoke works at some stage into other towns or possibly a chop house or you know even a countryside somewhere but we have decided just now um, where the economy is not phenomenally strong just to stay local and keep that competitive advantage actually and what about for you claire what about the competitive advantage that you've got so in such a competitive sort of sector what is it that gives you the edge do you think it's been quite interesting, actually. The more I think you refine your offer and you're more overt about what you do stand for, that's when all the sort of growth seems to come. We're also really strict about having a quite an English um, handwriting to our drink, so we kind of do things like plum and cherry, cream soda, mm, Sue's favourite, yeah, with, with splash of rhubarb. <laughs> Said we're not going to do anything with sort of guavas or mangoes or limes or anything. That's not us. We just want to be kind of English-inspired, family-owned, really important as well. 
and always kind of doing the right thing. So, you know, there are times we get let down by other people, but we always do the right thing by our customer, even if that means that we've then got to go back and chase up our suppliers to say, well, actually, that wasn't quite right. But being kind of quite reactive and nimble, which I guess is the same thing, mm. isn't it? If you stay where you, you're still really in touch with your customers and your consumers. And, um, and what sort of challenges do you see ahead for the coming year? Inevitably, there is masses of competition within within drink space, particularly at the moment. There are so many startups and it's just about being, you know, on top of what you're doing. We have got a range of zero sugar range, which is doing really well within the current landscape. So looking at probably developing that and just continuing just to do things really well, really. I think you can't, you know... If you just keep doing what you're doing brilliantly well, you know, always refining it and not being kind of complacent by any means, but just doing the best you possibly can, I think that's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how about you, Ollie? What about the challenges for the coming year? There are people challenges. Right. Uh, because the the teams we've got, it's, it's very hard keeping, keeping, even with them being local and we can share staff, it's just that, that actually there's not that many people in this marketplace I want to be employed you know it, that's been a real struggle of late is just keeping the restaurants full um, so it's employment employing people it's rising costs headwinds in the in the restaurant sector are well known cost of food we're going to have to see what happens obviously it's absolutely vital that hopefully that the economy picks up and sales pick up so our restaurants are generally pretty busy I mean the sales are really good but it's managing the costs that's our issue. Manning the cost of employing people really is the big issue for us. And so thinking about growth um, as a general topic, then what kind of advice would you give to people who are looking to grow a business within your kind of sector? I would say look after your people really, really well. Keep them with you. The cost of training people is quite prohibitive, I think. The turnover in our industry, the average turnover in a restaurant is over 100%. Uh, retention rate in the, in, our, in our restaurants and not in ours ours is much lower actually thankfully but in the industry it's really high right. and so looking after your people really really well is number one and how about you Claire so you've got more of a, a product rather than a, a service-based yeah, company know, it's, it is all about costs as well I mean yeah. particularly in a product and um, drinks is hugely competitive there is matter of pence with you know one or two pence can make an enormous amount of difference um it's been quite interesting the last year just with the david attenborough blue planet that's had an absolutely astronomical impact on the cost of glass so mm. and you my, always have glass don't you You've yes we bottle in glass is that right yeah, yeah. we bo- bottle in glass and always have done but cost went up by 50 percent over a three-month period last year and hasn't come back down again so that's quite an interesting cost to try and manage you know on a units that are really really quite tight but i think it is just constantly going through your costs and working out where they need to be and about the cash flow just chasing up debtors it's um it's the cash flow that normally brings businesses down and that's uh, a hard learning to yeah. <laughs> that's where we're quite lucky people pay first yeah. i mean yeah on instantly yeah and really quickly and now with a tap you know with the, you know you tap your mm. card into the yeah that is an advantage we have Absolutely. over your business of course yeah yeah, yeah. but we do play our supplies on time obviously <laughs> well that's great to hear <laughs> Well, thank you so much to both of you for for joining me. So if anybody wants to look them up, it's Cam's Cuisine. And you've got the website, you've got one each for all of the different pubs and restaurants, haven't you? Um, And then Breckland Orchard as well. There's lots on your website with all of your history and, of course, all of your delicious flavours. So thank you very much for joining me today. Pleasure.
Next time in episode three, Sue Keo discusses the importance of location. Her guests will be Saul Nasse, Group Chief Executive of Cambridge Assessment, and James Parton, MD of the Bradfield Centre. The Business of Cambridge is a TDC production for Cambridge 105 Radio, and you can download or stream any of the episodes from our website or from your usual podcast provider. <laughs>